Peace be with you. If you guys would, I know you just sat down, but we're going we're gonna to stand together for the reading of God's Word. Hopefully that brief sit down, got a little blood flowing in the knees there. It's a short passage today, um, but we're going to pick back up in our sermon series in the book of Matthew. Um, so we're jumping right into the middle of the greatest sermon ever given by the greatest preacher who ever lived. So let's read together Matthew 5, 33 through 37. You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will. Or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that your word is truth. We come before you today humbly, with hearts and minds open. Father, by the power of your spirit, will you speak truth to us this morning? pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so again, um, like I said, we, we've been journeying along in the book of Matthew. It's going to be a long journey together. We'll look at it over like two and a half years. All right, so gird up your loins. We're going to take some breaks. We're going to do Daniel here in a few weeks, um, so you can look forward to that. But broadly speaking, we're going to look for a long period of time at who King Jesus is and what it means to be a citizen of of his kingdom. So today in the text we, we look at, we get to this and, and we kind of have to admit that, that Jesus' command against oaths, it seems um, maybe less, less weighty, if you will, or the least relevant of his commands in this section. Like how can, how can oaths compare to anger or, or lust or divorce? Why, why would Jesus spend time talking about oaths when he just talked about the taking of a life or the breaking of a marriage. But the more we look at this command, this little command, the more we'll be impressed with the range of it. The more we'll understand that this small command about oath-taking, when we look at the root that Jesus is trying to address, we'll see that this reaches every nook and cranny of our lives. So the text we're looking at today, it comes... In, um, in a larger chunk of scripture, all right, starting all the way back in Matthew 5, 17, and it goes all the way down to Matthew 5, 48. And just by way of review, we need to remember that Jesus starts off this whole section by saying, I have not come to destroy the law or think the Old Testament. I didn't come to do away with that, but rather I came to fulfill it. And then he begins to unpack what this means in six examples. The first three, I would argue, are, are social commands. Okay, he talks, he talks about, or he addresses anger, adultery, and divorce. And then I think the next three that we're looking at starting today are political or think civil commands, how we relate to other people in a large group. He's addressing vows. We'll see that today. Revenge and loving your enemies, which we'll look at next week. 
But what's really important for us to see is that this whole sermon series, or this whole sermon we're looking at, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus is revealing to us what it means to live in the kingdom of God. But we need to understand that the kingdom of God is not just about spiritual realities. It's not just about reading your Bible or praying. It's not just about the things that happen here in the church. As a kingdom citizen, the kingdom of God affects every area of our lives, including social and political realities. So behind this little section of oaths, here's what Jesus is going to put forth as a main idea. Okay, you guys with me? He says, because all of our lives are under the rule and reign of God, okay, because we are in God's kingdom, our speech should always be truthful. Or put differently, because everything on the earth is the Lord's, you are always under oath. Because everything on earth is the Lord's, you are always under oath. If you're a, if you're a, um, a, a note taker, all right, here's where we're going, okay? I have, I have three points for us. And in good Baptist fashion, they have a shun at the end there. So we're going to look at uh, the foundation of oaths, okay? Where did they come from? What is Jesus talking about in the Old Testament? We're going to look at the distortion of oaths. Okay, how were these religious leaders that he's talking to, how are they misusing these things? And in what ways do we misuse these things? And then lastly, we're going to see the correction of oaths. How does Jesus correct this misuse? And then what does he call us to as his people today? So first, we have to ask, what, what on earth is an oath? What is a vow? Though they're similar, there's subtle differences to them, but we're going to kind of use them interchangeably. So an, an oath, as you know, similar to today, it was used to affirm the truthfulness of a statement or a commitment. It was the, an invocation of God or um, some other local deity or even someone greater than a person to, um, to undergird a statement of promise. Okay, a vow is very similar, but rather a vow functions in a way that I am committing to this higher person. So if I'm doing a vow, I'm committing to God to do something. If I'm saying an oath, I'm committing to somebody, but I am swearing by God. And just as today, an oath, what happens is it calls upon two things. So if I swear by God, I'm calling God to be both the witness to the truthfulness of my claim, and then I'm also calling him to be the judge if I break that claim. Okay? That's how an oath functions. So if I swear by God, I'm calling on God to be both the witness of what I say to be true, and I'm calling him to be the judge if I don't follow through. So this is what Jesus has in mind when he talks to us in Matthew 5.33. Okay? He says, You have also heard it said that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. So his quotation, it's, it's not an actual reference to one specific verse, but rather it's kind of a mashup of a bunch of different verses. Okay, so there's four, there's four verses that we see this come from um, in Leviticus, in Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Ecclesiastes. Uh, the first one, Leviticus 19, 12, um, do not bring shame on the name of your God by using it to swear falsely. I am the Lord. A man in numbers, a man who makes a vow to the Lord and makes a pledge under oath must never break it. He must do exactly what he said he would do. Then in Deuteronomy 23, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, be prompt in fulfilling whatever you promised him. For the Lord your God demands that you promptly fulfill all your vows or you will be guilty of sin. And then Ecclesiastes, when you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through. For God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. 
So even a superficial reading of these commands, it indicates plainly their intention, right? They prohibit false swearing or perjury. That is making a vow and then breaking it. So God, he, he makes a provision for oaths to be used with a very clear implication that if you swear by God, then you darn right better do it. If you're going to swear by God, then you must do what you say. And further on in Deuteronomy 23, here's what we read. It says, it is not sin to refrain from making a vow. But once you have, you have voluntarily made a vow, be careful to fulfill your promise to the Lord. Okay, so oaths are permitted, but not required. Oaths are permitted, but not required. It's not sinful to refrain from making a vow. But if you are to swear by God's name, then again, you must do what you say. Okay, and then this is where we see kind of the insidious um, distortion come in from the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Okay, they've adapted this huge formulaic system to get around the actual command. And Jesus, he doesn't, like always, he doesn't pull any punches, okay? He goes right for them. It says in verse 34, it says, But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. Do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. So in Jesus' day, there was a serious problem with this system that they constructed. Later on in Matthew, he gets onto them for the same thing, okay? We read this in Matthew 23, 16 through 22. Again, addressing the same thing, this oath system that they had created, this distortion. He says, blind guides, what sorrow awaits you? For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it is binding to swear by the, God, by the gold in the temple. Blind fools, which is more important, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you say that to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts of the altar is binding. How blind. For which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? When you swear by the altar, you are swearing by it and everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you are swearing by it and by God who lives in it. And when you swear by heaven, you are swearing by the throne of God and by God who sits on the throne. So as I stated earlier, God makes provision for oaths to be used with a very clear implication that if you swear by God, you must follow through on it. So you got to remember these Pharisees, right? They were, they were the first legalists. They were the first rule followers, okay? They, they were going to do anything they could to follow the rules, even if it meant finding loopholes. So they knew the law really well. And what they knew is that if they did break an oath that they swore by God, that they would actually be breaking two commandments, two of the Ten Commandments, the third commandment says, you shall not use the name of the Lord your God in vain or in a wrong way. And then the other commandment that they would be violating if they broke their oath, broke their word, is you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. But we, we see all throughout scripture, these guys are sneaky, just like we are, right? They know the rules, but the deceitfulness of their human hearts, it, it's looking for loopholes, looking for ways around. So they're looking at these oaths and they're like, oh, wait, wait a second. What if what if the issue, what if the issue is not, what if it's not breaking an oath by using something else's name in vain? After all, the command says you're only in trouble if you use the Lord's name in vain, right? Emphasis on the Lord. So they're, they're trying to play with words here. All their buddies are like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. We could swear by other things too. And then we're not actually swearing by, we're not breaking an oath that we swore by God. We're breaking an oath that we swore by heaven or, or by the earth. 
Okay, they're trying to find loopholes, trying to find ways around. So what's happening is these first century rabbis, these teachers, these religious leaders, they're emphasizing only the importance of truthfulness of speech to God and nothing else. As long as their communication with God is good, then their communication with anybody else, it doesn't have to be honest, it doesn't have to be truthful. The rest of it doesn't matter. So they made up this elaborate system, swearing by everything but God. Right? Matthew 5, we see they're swearing by heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem, and even by their own heads. Then in Matthew 23, they're swearing by God's temple and the gold in God's temple. But Jesus, he doesn't play games. He goes right at them. And here's what he says. Here's how he corrects them. Jesus, he he says, don't swear by heaven as if it counts less since God is there on the throne. Don't swear by the earth as if that gives you an out since it is his creation. Don't swear by Jerusalem either since it's the great city of the king. And then lastly, don't, don't say by my head because you ultimately have no authority over your own life. Only God does. In fact, even your hair color is not your choice, essentially. <laughs> right? <laughs> Praise God for dyes, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just teasing. All right. And so everything you say and do and think, it takes place before the watchful eye of an all-knowing, all-powerful God. God who takes with great seriousness the words that come out of your mouth, no matter who or what you swear by. So Jesus is showing them what they don't understand, that because God is sovereign, he rules and he controls all things, that his followers are always under oath. You hear that? Because he rules and controls all things, his followers, us, his disciples, are always under oath. Therefore, we should always be truthful. Why? Because anything we swear by in the entire cosmos is his. Heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool. Jerusalem is his city. And if there is any doubt on this issue, he owns your nugget too, your noggin, right? He has authority over you. Because everything on earth is the Lord's, you are always under oath. And so Jesus, he goes goes on and he gives the religious leaders this corrective on their oath-taking, okay? And this is what I think comes to bear on us today. So I think the first thing that we're called to as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples, as apprentices of Jesus, is to be honest. Pretty simple, be honest. The broad theme that Jesus is addressing, the root issue behind this little command about oaths and keeping your word, is really about truthfulness. Famed British pastor John Stott, he writes, swearing or oath-taking is really a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. Oath-taking or swearing is really a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. It's like, why, why do we find it necessary to introduce our promises by some tremendous formula? Like, I, I swear by the archangel Gabriel and the host of all heaven, or I swear on my Bible, or maybe the modern one, I swear on everything I love. This is true. Why? Why do we do that? What we're after is we're trying to induce someone to really, like, hey, will you just believe me? Will you really believe me? Like, all the other stuff, right? If I'm confessing with an oath that everything else is dishonest, it's like, all that other stuff I said before, you can disregard, but this is legit, okay? Trust me now. Why? 
And as I wrestled through this, like how, how often do I do this in my own conversation? I can't tell you how many times like someone asked my opinion and then I'll think about it and then I'll start a phrase with honestly, like, oh, well, every, every other opinion I gave that didn't have honestly in front of it didn't count. But this one, this one's legit. Trust me. Or if I get to the end of a story and I say, they're like, no, that didn't happen. Like, I swear, I promise it did. Why, why do we do that? Is it just a way of relating or, or does it say something deeper? That, that really we, we even doubt the truthfulness of our own words and our own speech. You see, Jesus, what he's doing, he's resisting this idea that there's split-level truth. He's resisting this idea that, um, that there's this top tier when we commit everything by God, and then there's this bottom tier where if we don't swear by anything else, then it's like, man, it's hit or miss on whether or not it's right or true. There's no, there's no split-tier truth for followers of Jesus. Because we're always under oath, everything we say should be truthful. And that's what Jesus is telling us in 537. He says, just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond that is from the evil one. Or maybe a more familiar way of saying it, a more f- familiar version um, is, let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. And man, don't we struggle with this. Y'all probably don't. I do, though. I know y'all are holier than I am. So I struggle with this. There's this really funny video. If there's any uh, John Chris fans, he has a, a video. Um, 17 ways Christians can say no. Okay, here's, you can watch the video. It's really funny. It's like a minute and a half. But I, I still chopped it down further, even though this explanation is now probably taking us into a minute and a half. But here's some of the things he says. It's like someone asks you a question, he's like, oh, I don't think it's God's will. <laughs> right? That's a good one. Or I'm feeling led in a different direction. Or let me talk to my pastor about that. Y'all ain't talking to me about your decisions. And then lastly, what's our favorite one? Anyone? Let me pray about it. <laughs> Y'all are tripping. Look, Jesus says, say yes or say no. It's pretty simple. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's pretty simple. When you say yes, be a person of the utmost integrity and follow through with that. When you don't want to do something, be a person of integrity and let your no be no. Spouses and parents, like, let me talk to you for a sec. Do you perpetually overpromise and underdeliver? My wife's like, yeah, I got, just so you know, I have a plank of wood sitting in, in our, in our um, what do you call it? <laughs> I don't know, our entryway that was supposed to be turned into a table like a year ago. So I'm with you guys, okay? Perpetual overpromiser, perpetual underdeliverer. By the grace of God, I'm working on it. Hey, thanks, bro. But maybe it's other things, right? You say every Sunday, like, sure, babe, I'll, I'll, take the, I'll take the garbage can out. And then Monday morning rolls around, your spouse has to go get it. And this is like a weekly thing. Or maybe you told your kids five months ago, you take them to the zoo, but, but work and, and all the other stuff, it seems to crowd it out. Say a simple yes or a simple no. Singles, you being tugged in a million directions? Right? Not because uh, people are asking you to, because people are committing you, ugh, asking you to commit to a bunch of things. But you keep offering like weird yeses or weird noes, right? You can't ever say yes or no. 
I think a problem is that when we say a half-hearted yes, right? Like, oh yeah, I'll do that. I'll go to community, or I'll commit to this community group, or I'll go to that class. When we say a half-hearted yes, we show up. We don't offer our full selves. Say yes or say no. Or here for the church, like maybe maybe you've committed to giving to a missionary, but for X, Y, and Z reason that that just hasn't happened. We're in friendships. Like, can your word be counted on? It's like, hey, bro, even though I've moved 10,000 people this year, I'll help you move to your apartment. I'll be there at 10, but you show up at 10.30 or 11, and the rest of the crew already got it. By, by obeying this little command, okay, a Christian's whole life is invested with the seriousness of an oath. You guys hear that? Because of this small command of truth, a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, their speech is invested with the seriousness of an oath all the time. Because everything is the Lord's, you are always under oath. So how then do we know if we should take oaths in a formal sense? Right? What should we do actually about oaths if we're required to take an oath? What if you're a witness on a trial? or you're asked to swear uh, on an affidavit? Or what if you serve in the military or as a police officer and, and are required to take an oath for the job? Right? After all, Jesus says, but I say, do not take any vows. Are we to take this literally, or is Jesus speaking like, to this specific manipulative system that the Jewish leaders had constructed? Well, really, it's not black and white, unfortunately. <laughs> I know everyone wants a, a new law, right? We all want new rules. Just tell me what to do. Can I take an oath or not? I think it's both. The kingdom ideal, I think, is that oaths wouldn't exist. Just as the kingdom ideal is that divorce would not exist. However, God, I think in his mercy and in his grace, he makes provision for things that are required to help or to protect people in a broken world. Again, just the divorce example, right? God makes a provision for divorce to protect those who have been abused, who have been, um, someone has committed adultery against them or have been abandoned, right? God makes provision for those things. It's not the ideal, but God makes provisions for them. Same thing in a broken world. If we have a court system that, can't stand on truth, then really we don't have a court system, right? There's lawlessness. There's no order. I think God makes provision for those things. So how, how then do we know whether or not we should take an oath? Well, I, I think the call is simply to be wise. One clear goal of Jesus' command of truth is the dismantling of this whole crazy lying structure that had been created. And Jesus' command, it has the possibility within it, we have to admit, it has the possibility within it of civil disobedience. I think that's okay. As disciples, I think we can and ought to question whether or not society has the right to force us to take an oath. I think that's okay. If someone at signs asks you to swear by God, to an affidavit you write, asking the question, do, must I? 
Can, can you let my yes be yes and my no be no? If they say no, you'll be in jail, then okay. I don't know, maybe go ahead and sign it. That's up to you. But I think we have to be wise. And I think we actually have to question. That should be our first thing. Well, can my yes be yes or my no be no in this situation? Here's what the, the Heidelberg Catechism um, says, and I think it's spot on just in answering very briefly. As you know, in catechism form, there's a question and then an answer meant to be memorized. It says, the question is, but, but may we swear an oath in God's name if we do it reverently? The answer, yes, when the government demands it or when necessity requires it. I think this is key in order to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and our neighbor's good. Right? Again, the issue of the oath system was violating the third and the ninth commandment. Such oaths are grounded in God's word and were rightly used by the people of God in the Old and New Testaments. So you see, in the perfect holy kingdom of God, which is already here, oaths are not the ideal. But though the kingdom is already here, it's not yet fully here. So God does make provision for us to take oaths when necessary. And the way I see it, just as we have laws now that will be unnecessary in the kingdom of God, when it's fully here, we have oaths now. I think that though they're not ideal, they help to restrain evil. So again, as Jesus continues to lay out this kingdom ethic in Matthew 5 through 7, what we see is that the truthfulness of the Christian is foundational to being a kingdom citizen. You hear that? The truthfulness of a Christian is foundational to being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Because everything belongs to Jesus, we are always under oath. Therefore, we should always tell the truth. And you know what's beautiful is we serve a God who is truth. In him, there is no falsehood whatsoever. This truthful God, long ago, he made one of the most important oaths that humanity ever knew. And that oath, that promise was to rescue sinful humanity, though they violated God's word. We see this in Hebrews 6, 13 through 18. Just such a beautiful picture of God's truthfulness, God's faithfulness to his word. It says, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name. So God swore by himself. If he swears by himself, again, he's calling himself to be the witness and the judge, okay? He says, I will certainly bless you, Abraham, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Now when people take an oath, they call on something greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding, affirming what Jesus just taught. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. If you have received the promise of Jesus, you can be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. 18, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. 
Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest. Jesus is both the witness and the judge. Though God would never break his oath, sinful humanity did. Something had to be done about our our broken oath that we had with God. But what's beautiful is that our Lord and our Savior, he took those punishments for us. He served as both the witness and the judge. In the cross of Calvary, it's served as a means by which all our falsehood may be paid for. Our oath-breaking, our perjury, our lies, our embellishments, our false images that we present, our false fronts that we put up, it was all paid for in full. And with it was an invitation to enter into a life of fullness, filled with truthfulness. And what we know as Christians is the truth was actually a man, a man named Jesus, who himself identified as the way, the truth, and the light. And we know that entering into this kingdom, this wonderful, majestic kingdom of God, we know that entering into it is actually an invitation to freedom. We read this in in John 8. 31 through 32, it says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and he broke it. He said, This is my body broken for you. On that same night, he took a cup of juice or wine. He said, This is the blood of the new covenant. It is sealed by my shedding of my blood. Jesus was both the witness and the judge. He took on our punishment when we couldn't keep our end of the bargain. And praise God that he did. Here at Sojourn, our tradition, as we take communions to come forward and break off a piece of the bread and dip into the juice. Communion is a time of, of solemn remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. It's a time when we reflect. It's a time when we repent. If we have been untruthful to friends, to family, to roommates, to spouses, Paul calls us to be made right with our brother before we go forward and take communion. So this is a time for that as well. Today we're going to um, do, do uh, our communion a little bit differently. If you were here last week, things were a little chaotic. Corinthians says we serve a God of order, not of chaos. Yes and amen. So uh, we have instructions on the screen here. <laughs> Don't laugh. This is going to help you. So there will be a station in front of each section. If you are in the far left, your far left section, you're going to, come down in this aisle. If you're in this middle section, you're going to come down this aisle and come to the center. If you're in that section over yonder, 
you're going to come down this aisle right here, and there will be a station right there. If you have any questions, consult your map. <laughs> uh, there will be gluten-free uh, elements over to my left and your right. If you're unable to come forward, please um, stay seated, and we'll bring the elements to you. Um, so just be sure to, to wave me down, and, uh, and we'll bring the elements to you. Before we take this sacred meal together, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that in you there is no falsehood, that you are truth, God. We praise you that you were both the witness of our broken oath and the judge of our broken oath, that you took on the punishment of those things, that God, when we could not keep our word to you, you suffered and died in our place. God, we ask humbly that you would help us to be men and women of truth. That we wouldn't swear by a million things to try and emphasize the truthfulness of our statements, but rather, as Jesus calls us, that a simple yes or a simple no would suffice. God, we're thankful that the truth sets us free. And we are free indeed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.